not good. This version of it. Okay. Um, okay, so we were talking about the two kinds of refuge, causal and result. Um, going for protection to the Buddhas who already exist and taking refuge in our own future Buddhahood. So those two. So the emptiness of our mind in this moment is exactly the same content as our mind when we're enlightened. The emptiness of our mind in this moment is exactly the same. So it's the only thing about us that'll still be the same when we become a Buddha. And that's why an old mutt can become a Buddha, and so can we. Um, and then number two, so that's the first thing that can turn into a Buddha, which is inborn Buddha nature. The second, Sekien Gur Gyur Gi Rik. It's hard, I know. Um, and this is the Buddha nature that requires development, our mind and our physical body as opposed to the innate Buddha nature, which doesn't need any development because um, it's emptiness itself. So we don't have to develop that one. This one we have to develop. Because we don't have to develop the other because emptiness is unchanging. It can't get more or less unchanging. That just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense if we think about it. It's the general lack of self-existence that we talk about, and it's never more or less self-existent. It's just self-existent. The lack of a two-headed purple elephant in this room never gets more or less. There's either a two-headed purple elephant or there's not. It's not like kind of here or kind of not here. So an elephant is big enough to confirm really easily. And we use this, this example because a self-existent thing never did exist. It never could exist. It never will exist. And we're constantly grasping to it. And it's the same as a two-headed purple elephant in this room, which does not exist. Never did exist, never could. We have never had a clear view in our lives. And it's much more dangerous than the two-headed purple elephant. Our mind is constantly grasping to a mode of things that's totally crazy if we sit and look at it. A self-existent thing is as crazy and silly as a two-headed purple elephant in this room. So the object that the Madhyamika Prasangika is denying is completely crazy and never could exist anyways. The general absence of self-existent, of a self-existent thing about your mind that could never be there anyways is our emptiness. And the day that we become a Buddha, it'll still be just as absent as it is, as it is today. And that's why Buddha nature doesn't change. And we have to contemplate that one. 
This refers to the Buddha nature within you, which will create the parts of your enlightened being, which are changing. So this number two, this one refers to that, meaning our mind and our physical body. The innate Buddha nature only accounts for the emptiness of the Buddha's mind, but we still need um, we still need a mind and we still need a body. So the first one's just talking about the emptiness of the mind. Okay, so the traditional example, which we mentioned, is um, basically the seed of an immaculate mind is the mind of an old scrounge dog. It's Buddha nature that requires development. Um, and that's the classical example. But then the scripture goes on and gives examples of persons and minds. And these are really cool because, um, well, we'll see. So some additional examples are number one, a bodhisattva's direct perception of emptiness is Buddha nature. This mind, as it evolves, will turn into an enlightened mind. So the bodhisattva's direct perception of emptiness, that mind will turn into an enlightened mind. The compassion in the heart of a bodhisattva, which is an advanced state of mind, that's going to turn into a Buddha's mind. Baby bodhisattvas, which are people who have just reached bodhisattvahood, that person will transform into a Buddha. And then a person who's just taken bodhisattva vows. Did you, you took yours, didn't you? No? Um, so when you take them, when you've just taken your bodhisattva vows, that Buddha nature will create the parts of a Buddha which are physical or mental or changing. So when you're taking the bodhisattva vows, they're the cause for that. For the changing parts of the Buddha, which would mean basically everything but the emptiness of their mind, which is the unchanging part. Mm, that's crazy. <laughs> it, yeah. So basically, everything physical and mental about the Buddha is caused. Like the person who has just taken their bodhisattva vows, that will create the parts of a Buddha that are physical or mental or changing. Mm -hmm. The other part, the Buddha nature, is the emptiness of the mind that's there as well. That so the emptiness of the mind doesn't change. Oh. 
but there there are changing parts of the Buddha because otherwise they'd just be frozen. Yeah. So they're still are doing things, you know, they're emanating, they're being omniscient, <laughs> they're having compassion, they're doing whatever the Buddha's doing. Maybe they're emanating and teaching to people. But the emptiness of their mind is unchanging. Like we were saying, it's not it's not more or less empty one moment to the next. It's not any more empty now that they're a Buddha as it was when they were Heather or Cheryl. It's still just as empty. So that part's unchanging. But then the other parts are changing. Okay. I think it is it is confusing how it's um worded too. I mean, Well, these are like doing the vows and being wanting to take the vows. That willingness or want to change. Say that. Say that one more time. Like the willingness to want to change, um, that your compassion grows in that way, and that's changing in the direction of becoming a Buddha. So right, like number two, the compassion in the heart of a Bodhisattva. Yeah. So So I think what these examples are saying are their chain this these are the causes of the changing parts of the Buddha. Like you do these things and it turns into the compassion in the heart of a bodhisattva turns into the Buddha's mind. So that's a cause for the Buddha's mind. The Bodhisattva's direct perception of emptiness, that mind is what evolves into the enlightened mind. A person, person who's just taken their Bodhisattva vows That Buddha nature will create the parts of Buddha which are physical, mental changing. So, the parts that are changing, the body and mind. Okay. It is. I. Th it is kind of confusing the wording. I agree. Let me see here.
So let's see what the, um, right? Let me look at the homework. Let's see what it might be able to clear it up. that so in the homework it says give the definition of Buddha nature and name the main two types and give one example of each the definition of Buddha nature is that which can turn into a Buddha the two main types are the innate Buddha nature and the Buddha nature which requires development. The first, the innate Buddha nature, turns into the essence body of the Buddha. The second turns into the mind and the physical bodies of the Buddha. An example of the first, the essence body, would be the emptiness of the mind of an old scroungy mutt. An example of the second, would be the seed for a totally pure state of mind in the mental continuum of the same dog. So that's what that last slide was. But that dog would become a Buddha in someone else's mind um, watching the dog or the dog? The dog. Because I thought they can become. <laughs> they can become. Well, at a certain point, they will, for sure. From a dog to a... Well, like, progressing along. Okay. And, yeah. Not just in that lifetime. Maybe not in that lifetime. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. But at, at a certain point, yeah, all of, all of the beings will be. So, that's the example. The example is that first one with the scrounge you met. The innate Buddha nature, that example is the emptiness of the mind of an old scroungy mutt. And then the Buddha nature, which requires development, the example of that is the seed for a totally pure state of mind in the mental continuum of the same dog. I think that clears it up a little. Does that make more sense? <coughs> I think if you look through the um, the reading and the homework, it makes more sense. Yeah, I think it's partly like just how we're presenting it here. So. We're talking about the parts of a Buddha, and the goal is to 
get to Buddhahood ourselves. And the best way that we can help others is to do that. And what Master Shantideva goes on to talk about is that we shouldn't be embarrassed or feel guilty for going for total enlightenment. <coughs> it's the correct path to take. It's the highest, most noble deeds that we can do for others um, are also those which are going to bring us the most happiness ourselves, will bring us to the final goal. Suppose that we get all this that Master Shantideva is talking about. Then the next time that we feel really discouraged about my practice, like, okay, I just fell asleep in my meditation, but I remembered, I remember that Master Shantideva said that I have Buddha nature, so then I can feel better. And I think we should just try it when we're feeling discouraged. Try thinking of it. These things, usually they, usually they do sound like a little confusing because we're looking at them from our mind clouded with a lot of wrong views. Mm -hmm. But then when we actually practice them, they work really well because they're, they're taught to us by enlightened beings. You know, we're just not, I know I'm not there yet. But, so when these things come up, when we're feeling discouraged, try thinking of our Buddha nature. Just try it and see how it works. So, so next time we're feeling that way, we'll both try it. <laughs> and in the Bodhisattva Charya Avatara, there's a debate. And it says, but if I'm going to be a real bodhisattva, I'm supposed to be able to reach into my eye socket, rip out my eye, and happily give it to someone who needs it. And at this point, the debate, the person saying, that really scares me, I don't think I can do that. Like, I don't see how I can do that. And what Master Shanti Deva says in response is, you failed to analyze this question very clearly. You're losing your priorities. When you say you're afraid of that, you're the Mahatma of ignorance. So that's what his reply is. For millions of years, you've been born. If this theory of mind, if rebirth is nothing more than a shift in the mind, and the mind itself is a substance which is completely different than the body and can't be destroyed, then you've been all things to all different people countless times over and over and over again. And maybe we, we don't completely believe this right now, but if it's true, we've been the President of the United States countless times, we've been killed countless times, we've been related to every other being countless times, um, we've had every amazing thing happen to us countless times, and Master Shanti Deva says, for what? We wasted all of those lives. Even in this life, we'll have horrible things happen in this life. We've mostly wasted our life. All we're doing is grubbing around for money, trying to feed our body, getting things that we want for this body that's going to die anyways. So we've wasted all these lives pointlessly. So if somebody... We've wasted them pointlessly, so why not go through them now with a point? 
with a goal in mind. If someone wants your arm, give it to them. Why not? You're going to lose it anyways. If you can give away your job, all your money, whatever possession you are most attached to, while you still have it, give it away because you're going to lose it anyways, even down to your body. And it's a really brilliant argument. (laughs) Life's going to steal it away from you anyways, even if it means something painful, some small pain, just go for it. That's his argument. And there's a certain point, if you reach that much good deeds or compassion, that our body will start to transform and the people around us will change. Compared to the limitless suffering up until now, um, there's an end to it. So the knowledge that there's an end to it, to all of our suffering, can do a lot for your effort. And what Master Shanti Deva says is don't worry about doing hard things. There gets a point where we get pain or trouble. You know, in most of our lives, we come to a point where there's pain or there's trouble that's so serious that we'll submit ourselves to whatever indignity the doctors want to do to us. Um, Where we'll say, okay, you can cut open my body because you know the only other choice is to die. And what Master Shanti Deva says, this is his example. You put up with this because you know it will cure a larger suffering. So he's saying, don't be wimpy about your spiritual life. If it takes staying up late at night, not getting enough sleep, that one's a really hard one for me. (laughs) If you don't have the money or career that others have, or the possessions because you're wasting your time practicing and meditating, Master Shantideva then says, if you want to be a good Buddhist scholar, you're going to have to suffer. If you want to feel good, you won't reach the great infinite pleasures of Buddhahood. He compares the Bodhisattva's way of life to submitting to a doctor. But then in the next verse, he doesn't want people to get scared, so he switches his tone. And what he's just described is the medical treatment in the relative world But he says that's not how the Buddha works or the ultimate physician, which would be the Buddha. He uses gentle means to cure your your infinitely incurable disease. And so really the best thing that we can do for other people is to achieve ultimate pleasure ourselves, which it's really hard for our Judeo-Christian guilt-ridden minds to take that in. According to the Buddha, the highest service to provide to others is to reach ultimate bliss ourselves. Because when we're in that position, then we can teach people. And there's a difference between teaching people when we've had the experience ourselves and when we haven't. You can just tell. There's a huge difference. Even in, you know, even in relative things. So get used to this idea and don't be embarrassed by it. You will serve, like, you know, will you serve others the whole time along the path? Yes. But the best thing you can do for them is to get there. And when we're practicing the Buddhist path, it's actually the most pleasant way to live anyways. The best thing we can do for others is to live a really amazing life life and get to the most pleasurable state of mind that we possibly can imagine. 
And as we progress further and further along our bodhisattva path and it becomes more sophisticated, then our life will become more and more pleasant. And we start seeing that in little ways, just even when we're starting out on the path, even when we're, you know, like teenagers on the path. When Master Shanti Deva says a bodhisattva can reach into their eye socket and pull out their eyeball, you can bet it's really blissful for them to do so. It's the nature of the path because you're collecting more and more good karma. It doesn't change in one day, but it gradually changes. We gradually see our environment changing, our surroundings, our body, our mind, getting more and more blissful. And so by that point, Master Shanti Deva is saying it's not painful at all. That's not the way this doctor works, aka the Buddha. The path is bliss, the goal is bliss, and it's the best thing for others. And what Geshe Michael says, he says that Westerners think we need to be nailed up to do something good for others. And if at that point we did need to be, he said, you better believe that it would be blissful. So that's how the karma works. That's how our seeds progress. By the time we're at a point where we would even think about doing that, it would, it would be amazing. It would be, we would love doing it. You know, there would be like no hesitation. So this is the last verse. Gangshik is when you have an A and a B part in the sentence. So that's what that's saying. Um, and the Svabhavakaya, or the essence of the Buddha, the Buddha, <laughs> the essence of the Buddha, one of the four parts of the Buddha. Um, they have physical parts. That would be something like the sound of a wave or uh, the ocean, something like that. Then there's physical, omniscience, and then emptiness is the essence body. And that's, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to get those down, I think. So just because we have the potential to turn into a Buddha, who cares? We have to have a path to get there. We have to have like guidelines how to get there. So next is how to turn that potential into reality. So we know we have the potential now. What do we do about it? Oh, I, I blocked some of the words. Um, okay, say Sunam Lasok. Sunam, Sunam Lasok. Jinpa. Jinpa. Laang. 
Drenpe Tokumar. Jorwazi. Dela Gomne. Chineni. Rimgi Rangi. Shayang Tong. Okay. Basically, what this boils down to is start with peas and carrots, or carrots and potatoes, or whatever analogy you want to use. An aspiring bodhisattva has to start with small giving and just gradually build up. The human mind can be formed and made to take on any new habit. We just have to start small and just gently, gradually work our way up. And then at a certain point, we'll get to that point where we could give away anything. Even at a certain point, we could even give our life for the Dharma. And it would be no problem. We, can't, we probably can't do that now. And that's okay. We start small and then we just work our way up. We start with something that we don't, that's not that big. Like someone who's mildly annoying, we don't get angry at them. So we start really small and then we start to build up from there. And it's really, it's like exercise. Typically, typical human behavior, we go and like totally murder ourselves at the gym and then we never want to go back. <laughs> We're like so sore we can't walk the next day. And, <laughs> and you see people doing that with their practice too. It's typical. But the Buddha says, I prohibit you to give something that you're not capable of giving yet until you can easily do it with pleasure. Which is nice. That's really, I think it's a nice thing to hear. So don't try to give something too big. Start with small things and then build up. And then though, there will come a day, like I was saying, where everyone will be capable of giving up their life for the Dharma. And we'll evolve into that being, but not yet. So now we start with peas and carrots. And just like exercise, we gradually just work our way up. And then we can, at a certain point, we can give anything. And I think we can see this even in like small ways. I was giving... Um, can't remember if I was, maybe I wasn't tipping at all or something with coffee. <laughs> and then I started like tipping a little bit more and then a little bit more. And then now I could give like $20 to a homeless man or something and feel fine about it. Before I could like barely do a dollar. <laughs> there was like a big block. <laughs> And it's not like I really have much more money. It's just that my perception shifted. I just worked my way up to it. Do you do it? <laughs> I don't do that all the time. I mean, have I ever given 20? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But I could do it now. Yeah. I could easily give 5, 10. Um, 
or even at um, even in Dharma classes. I used it used to be like hard to. It's easy for me to bring offerings, like um, you know, food or whatever for the the teacher, but putting money in the Donna bowl that used to be hard. <laughs> Like a dollar or two, it would feel really hard, but I just like slowly worked my way up. And then I can, for sure, I can easily just put in 20 now for a class. And I mean, I do have a little more money than I used to, but, but not that much. I could have done it before too. It was just like, there was something like, no, I don't want to do that. There was something like <laughs> holding me back. So what he's saying is you don't do it at that point. You do it when you're at the point where it's pleasurable and, and you love to do it. So you just work your way up slowly. Like if, a, if $2, $4, $10 seems like easy, then we add like $1 on or, you know, whatever it is. If it seems really hard to give someone like one cookie that we have, then we offer them half cookie, you know, whatever. Whatever it is, or if it seems hard to give someone, like, time, or um, yeah. whatever we're giving, we just start with, like, a little bit. And I think there is some, you have, we have to do some stretching at some point, but we just make sure that we're stretching to the point that we're comfortable, not overdoing it. And then that way we can work up to anything. We can work up to giving anything. Yeah. And and sometimes we don't have some things to give, you know, so we give what we do have to give. So he says, like, never give more than you can, never give more, never give past the point where you're going to regret it, you know? Never give to that point where you're going to be like, oh, gosh, I wish I didn't do that. That used to be my fear all the time. I'm like, I'm going to regret, like, just the regret so that I wouldn't. Because <laughs> I've been selfish for so long, it feels not good to do It that. doesn't feel good. I mean, if we push ourselves too much, it's not good either. But I, I think we do have to push ourselves a little, but not like, not too much. Where then we're going to be like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> you know, like at first there'd probably be a little bit. <laughs> yeah like the other day I went to give someone a ride and I was like dang like at first I was like how can I get out of this maybe they're too far like yeah I'm busy this week but then I did it and there was some fight within I was like god why do I have to do this but then I did find some joy did you feel like that you did it? <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking about this other time that I had 
done something really bad. <laughs> something my mom got so mad at me for. for she stopped talking to me. So then I, um, I thought about that. I was like, okay, this is how I can make this right. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes it is hard, but then um, most of the time I feel happy that I did it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think just because it feels hard it necessarily means that it's past our capacity. I think we just have to judge. Because I, I can think of a handful of things recently that I've done that I didn't want to do, but then after I was like, I'm okay, I'm glad I did that. It wasn't like I felt like, Ugh, I really regret doing that. I wish I hadn't helped that person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Yeah. Usually you do. It's just that fight. Yeah. Because you want to be selfish. You want to be like, no, I want to do this. I, I don't want to be inconvenienced in any way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Except the ways that I'm, like, okay with being inconvenienced. You know, those are okay. (laughs) I know, it's so crazy. Okay, so we're going to practice remembering Buddha nature when we feel discouraged. That's going to be the practice. So for this week, if we feel discouraged, like, oh, man, I just did that again. Or, you know, whatever it is. Discouraged in all different things. Like yeah. I mean, for sure in our practice. But yeah, I think in all different things. Because everything can be our practice. And then think, okay. Think about Buddha nature. Emptiness of my mind. which means I can transform into an enlightened being. So that's our homework. And just, we'll just see how it goes. Like, does it help? Like, oh, I have this new tool. I'm going to use this new tool I have. Or, like, I have a new app or, you know, whatever. I'm going to use this new app. So they're different than they were? Yeah. I think it's been building. I do have that. Oh, God. So I've been trying to practice joyful effort. You know, just yeah, going. This is good. I'm gonna, and I kind of thought about that, that. That I could. That this is where I want. This is a part of my getting to be enlightened. Discouraged of 
because there's cloudiness. I think it's a it's okay. Like you want to, yeah, it'd be nice if it changed. But you're getting to your cushion and you're meditating. And that what happens in the meditation is going to change and fluctuate. There's going to be like great meditation sessions and then really crappy. And then really good and then really crappy. And then you just apply the antidotes that you have. And a lot of times they work. So if it's really cloudy, um, you... You can think of something bright. You can think of just brightness. You can think of, like, your llama. Something that's going to, like, uplift the mind. You can think of, I think one of the traditional antidotes, if I'm not mistaken, you can think of um, death awareness, too. Mm. This could be the last time... I might die before I ever meditate again. So that kind of like lights a fire underneath your focus. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And if you, maybe you need to have like some coffee before you're meditating or like, you know, like get the right amount or um, be cooler. Don't be warm when you're meditating. That, when I was experiencing dullness a lot, that really helps. And, like, you're not meditating that long, so it's okay if you're cold for, you know, like, however long you're meditating. But it helps to brighten the mind a lot. Okay. Especially don't have your place too warm. Okay. And I was meditating in my bedroom, and I realized that doesn't work. It might work for some people. It might be fine. But the energy in there was... Um, too, it was too dull for me so I moved out into the living room or it could even just be maybe like a different area in your bedroom or something if you're in there yeah I have it in a closet right now mm-hmm. and that's the quietest place that I can put everything or put you yeah I do notice the timing when I do certain times if I if it's not the first thing I do before I leave and go somewhere or something to work or something and have like almost a whole day it's so hard Me too, mine is too because your mind's just tired at the end of the day mm-hmm. yeah yeah so if you just play around with it you'll f- You'll figure out something that'll work. For me, I had a lot of dullness for a long time. And it was like I did, I tried all these different things, and just at a certain point, it just, it cleared up. I mean, it's not totally gone, but it's not as gross as it was. It was like really hard. And also, I, I started meditating with my eyes open, and that helps me a lot. Um, no, I just do my fully open. I've tried the, the slit and it doesn't work for me. I it's know. like, it's like all weird and it takes all this effort. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen pictures of like, I was watching a documentary and all these Buddhist practitioners, like His Holiness, they're not, their eyes aren't hooded or slit. They're just open. 
I know it's the classical instruction, and maybe maybe it'll come to me at some point, but it doesn't work for me right now. I know, exactly. Like, if you look down, I guess, do my eyes look like hooded or... Because you're looking down. Yeah. But sometimes I don't look down. Sometimes I'll look up to, like, brighten my mind. Uh-huh. Usually I'll look, like, about here. So just, uh-huh. I think, just find whatever works for you. Are you focusing on something, or are you just blankly trying to... No, I'm, I'm pretty much focusing. I'll try... Sometimes I'll be able to slip into, like... Once I get deeper into my meditation, it's a softer focus... But if I, it doesn't work for me if I try to make it softer. Mm-hmm. Like, then it's just, like, <laughs> funky. <laughs> like, I want to blink, I think, when I have, I've tried it with the little, like, and then I just want to blink. Yeah, it's really awkward. I don't know, I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe it someday <laughs> I'll experience it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I, I say just leave your eyes open. Try it, try it and just see what happens. Yeah. See okay. how you like it for like, probably try it for like a few weeks. Unless you really hate it, then don't, then don't do it. But just see if it, um, if it changes anything. Maybe it's, maybe it's better, maybe it's not. But I found with like dullness, that helped me a lot. I, it really like transformed it. It took a little while though. Still with the eyes open, it was there for a while, but I think that it helped ultimately. But I don't know. Did you, were you looking at some Buddha or something on your own? I did that for a little bit, but um, because I was, I leveled to my altar. Mm -hmm. So I was looking there, but now I'm not. And I, it's better because it, um, because then you're like, if it's in your eyesight, then you can try it. But I think it's better without it because then you're sort of almost like meditating on that, but you're meditating on something else, you know? Yeah. So, but try try it out and see which, which way works for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just try all different things. Like when I'm on retreat, I'll have... Um, ha- Sugar is really helpful for me if I feel drowsy mm. to have like um, a few pieces of candy before we go in and meditate or something it'll wake me up it'll help me or maybe it's like caffeine for you or yeah. or whatever it is you can like splash cold water on your face before you sit down or yeah. and if you need to you can even stand up that's really helpful for drowsiness so just like try these all these different things. Something will clear it up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sashi puki chukshi Kewa 
ti gewoku sunam yashe sok sok she sunam yashe le jungwe tampa kuri to parshu